Russia was the, the Union of Soviet Social Republics. And they'd say, oh, but aren't you so glad that you're in America? I said, well, I know a lot of Russian filmmakers. They have a lot more freedom than I have. All they have to do is be careful about criticizing the government. everyone and welcome to another episode of pop life a show where we take more fun deep dives into different aspects of pop culture movies and of course something i spend a lot of time doing music don't forget if you like what you are seeing hit the like button subscribe hit the post notification bell so you're alerted whenever we go live especially on wednesdays you never know what you're going to get. We're going to do a sports show. There's going to be some weird show about gaming with Gene Bajlan and Derek Varn. There's going to be a bunch of white guys on here that aren't really white guys. We call white guys anyway. Is it just going to be me gentrifying the white guys that aren't really white guys that come here on Wednesdays? Who knows? The only way you can know is if you hit that bell and you are notified. Also, since this show is about music, I wrote a thing that is now a book you can purchase. It's in its second edition. So please check that out. It's called I Was a Teenage Anarchist. Uh, originally, every chapter was a different title of a punk song. And that got changed by Gene Bajlan, who edited it. It edited it. I can't speak. And I was recently on the Majority Report, and... I cut some clips of that because I didn't think they were going to. And then they cut the whole episode as a clip. And man, oh, man, I read the comments. <laughs> For as many times as I've been on that show, I think the people that watch that show, just all black people are the same to them. Me, Ben Dixon, um, that black guy, Brandon, that comes on there. Uh few times a week i think it's just all the same black guy to them because um the things they say are really interesting in the comments like most of the comments were from angry people that are still trying to hang on to their punk rock youth and feel like the music that they listen to in and of itself constituted their commitment to something i don't know what but something, which is kind of the crux of what I was trying to write in that piece, right? That, you know, if if you think that some group that you listened to that sold a thousand copies over 40 years means that you're really about it, then you kind of are one of these cultures, right? You're, you're the culture of authenticity. A lot of it was people talking about how anarchist they are. And then the fun parts was when they said that I 
or some sort of poser because I've never lived the life. I was like, it's interesting. I don't know how many people that do this toured all over the place, not because they had like family funds, lived in a van and lived in this gnarly warehouse, pretty much was homeless. Like, I don't know too many people, you know, but I'm a poser. I thought that was hilarious. I guess when I show up on shows like that and talk about the book, I have to wear the most punk thing. I don't even know what the most punk thing I have is because I think whatever I do is like, nah. but I thought that was funny for a good laugh. Please read the comments. Uh, someone says skaters are weird like that, too. They can be. They can be. I have some friends that are pro skaters. It's a gnarly world. The, those those. Those cultures, right, they exist so much in the world that we exist in, right? Authenticity and deconstruction, just saying no to everything, just hate the man, always telling someone what you're against. And then, you know, I don't know. But anyway, we I promised that we were going to open up the phone lines today. And I'm very serious about that because... I listened, I listened to it when it came out, Andre 3000's record. Who in the chat, someone says I'm a vagabond, kind of, kind of. <laughs> and I've been a lot of places. Um, who watching the show right now actually listened to Andre 3000's record? Because what I find really interesting about it is that I don't know if anybody bought copies of it. But definitely a lot of people streamed it. Like a lot of people streamed it. The streaming numbers are really what's driving the sales numbers, so to speak. But before I open up the phone lines, I prepared a few words to get you guys ready. I'm ready for the divisive phone calls. Some people call the subject of our show tonight one of the greatest MCs to ever pick up a mic and spit hot fire. One half of the dynamic rap duo, who you could argue put Southern hip hop on the map from Atlanta, Outcast. After a long hiatus from releasing rap albums, Three Stacks, as he's known in the hip hop world, has returned not with a hip-hop classic, but with a relaxing New Age flute instrumental record. Andre 3000 has stated in several interviews that he didn't feel up to rapping anymore. He says he's not done with the genre, but at the moment, his creative energy is with his flute playing. I don't even have like a joke. <laughs> Cindy says, is this stream worthy? I mean, look. Before I finish, I will say this. This this is just my opinion, and I'm not a New Age fan. I mean, there's a reason why yesterday we laughed at that video of those people with hemp clothes dancing before the ceremonial anti-vaccine orgy. <laughs> oh, Dr. Claw, yes, I saw that right before I came on. The Henry Kissinger finally died at 100. Finally, after he lived a hundred years, he was like, "Okay, enough damage." Um, I listened to it, Cindy, and it was on. It felt like for five hours, 
And I said, and I was like writing as I was doing it. And I was like, is this still the same record? It, if you've been to a spa, it's like um, music you can ignore. It's great music you can ignore. And uh, I, I said something about this on Twitter, and there were definitely a few people that were like, oh, I like it. I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's music you can ignore. And we are in this era now that we find music that we can ignore. We have multiple screens going at once. That is a for anyone watching this show that actually does like marketing. That's a that's a whole demographic. Second screen is this good second screen viewing? I don't want to be second screen viewing. As someone that played music, I would hate when people just looked so uninterested. <laughs> I was like, do I have to set myself on fire? Because I will. Um. It's it's you know it's background noise like how many how many people do you know or are you this person that has a computer in front of them there's a television on or something for background noise maybe even music and there's a phone next to you and when a ping goes off you're responding to 12 different things at once his record is when you go I want to focus and you just put it on in the background and before you know it, bam, you wrote your latest essay for sublation, 1,500 words. The Katie Halper Pog person is back. <laughs> it would be really funny if it was Katie Halper, but it's not Katie Halper. I know Katie Halper, and that is, first of all, she would not call herself a book. I'm probably going to get a message from her soon. Telling me not to say that anymore. And that's fine. I get it. <sighs> the hype surrounding the release of the record was divisive to say the least. Either people hated it or loved it. Or loved what they saw as a brave attempt to branch out beyond simply rapping. But should we be surprised? The last Outcast album, Speaker Box, Love Below, was a double album where you could say the seeds were being planted that Andre wanted to move beyond simply rhyming. The highly controversial flute record outsold Nas and many other hip-hop contemporaries and popular newcomers with over 24,000 first-week sales. Now, keep in mind, streaming numbers count as a sale. 1,500 streams equal one sale. Is Andre 3000 doing to the flute what he did to hip-hop in the late 90s and 2000s with groundbreaking music and lyrical ability? Or are we witnessing a new way to package average material? For the last few years, 3,000 would be spotted in the most random of places with a backpack and a flute. Gray hair sprouting out of his beanie, smiling. Taking pictures with random surprise fans like Black Bill Murray. Was this all a part of the hype building of a new phase of his career? Is the hype around this record manufactured? A way to get people to talk about, then listen to a record that had it not been for the Andre isn't rapping narrative would have dropped without a peep. What say y'all? What say y'all about this record? When it when it dropped, Toussaint and I were talking about it, and I had had it on in the background <laughs> as we, we do a video call every day, pretty much every day. And I was like, I'm listening to it. Can you hear it? She was like, what is that? 
<laughs> she was she was very unimpressed. She was like, "What? What is this?" And uh, it's I wasn't. I don't know how to feel about it. You know what I mean? I don't want to crap on it. I said some things on Twitter. I said it was a mediocre. So it was mediocre spa music, and uh, definitely some people that I had no idea who they are said some things back. I'm not angry, just kind of, you know, I don't think it's angry spa music. <laughs> Lenny Power says, Andre 3000's new album is ambient office acceptable shamanistic moody vibes. I don't feel like Andre 3000, though, is like one of those characters that thinks that he knows everything and has all the answers and he's going to do a podcast next week. What's the guy's name? The British Russell brand. He's not Russell brand. This, his music is the soundtrack to a Russell brand drug sex party, but he himself is not Russell brand. Um, what I found interesting about what a lot of people were saying about the record, especially older rappers or rappers around his age, because the first thing that was kind of getting floated around in the interviews was that Andre was like, I'm 48 years old. What the hell am I going to rap about? Colonoscopy? And, you know, I get it. You don't have to rap about <laughs> But... I think he's hit a certain point in his life where the struggles that might have been there when he was a younger man are no longer there. Wanting to be heard in this sea of East Coast, West Coast fighting that was so popular when Outcast first came out. You know, where were these guys from? No one knew until you know, they start telling you they're from Atlanta and blah, 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 blah. And I love that they put that on that. I forget what album is. Is that AT Aliens or Equimini where they put the booing from the Source Awards? and They get the Best New Artist Award. I love that about them. But they're they're pretty far beyond those years now. Again, he's in his later 40s. Not to say that every rapper, I mean, there's rappers older than him that are still doing it, but they never got to the level that those guys got to as far as commercial sales. We have to make sure we draw a demarcating line between cultural significance and commercial significance and commercial success. That That's very important. When you try to say, well, Big Daddy Kane's in his, you know, late 50s, early 60s, you know, Dougie Fresh, these guys are still doing it. Ice-T. Ice Cube is on tour as we speak. Souls of Mischief is celebrating 30 years of their first album, 93 Till Infinity. And they're the same age. I understand all that. With the exception of Ice Cube, who also had massive film success, 
most of those guys had some severe peaks and valleys in their careers and don't have the commercial success that Outkast had. And Outkast is kind of like Prince in that regard where they got about as experimental as you could get with, let's call it pop rap music. Because there's definitely more stuff in the hip-hop genre that's crazy experimental, even during that time. But to have that level of pop acceptance to sell all those copies, that's kind of like the Prince level of experimentation. And... um. Yeah, they were pretty massive. So could Andre get back with Big Boy and do some sort of nostalgia tour like so many other artists and various genres, right? Kiss is always on their last ever tour. (laughs) Black Sabbath is probably going to go on another tour. I mean, when Ozzy was done, they did, I forget how many years with Ronnie James Dio until they brought Ozzy back. Some people saying the flute album is awesome. If you like the flute album, that's, and I will die on this hill. (laughs) I wish Toussaint was here to put that on the screen. (laughs) The flute album is awesome. I will die on this hill. I wish we were all in the champagne room so I could just play it. But this is a main show. I'm fighting another demonetization issue with like two minutes of something. The the Saturday show is being totally demonetized because the intro clip that we played, and I don't even remember this happening when we actually played the show. The intro clip of those black people talking plays music in it that you can barely hear. And that music is copywritten, and they're like, too much. I was like, that is nuts. But I'm going to open up the phone lines, and while I do, I'm going to play some Andre 3000-esque music so you guys can't hear the code. Look at that. Bam! There's the phone number. Let's play some ambient Andre 3000-esque music while I get the phone lines open. Once it pops up. Thanks, AI. Now listen to this music and tell me this is any different. And, and then go listen to Andre 3000 and tell me it's that different. Look at that. Oh, you hear that forgettable sounds that AI generates here from Restream? Chris Contos! Shout out to Chris Contos watching the show! Heavy metal legend, hardcore punk legend, Chris Contos. Chris says he's much more of a Goody Mob fan. Word? You guys, look, you have an opportunity. This is what you get here at TIR. You guys have an opportunity right now to interact with music legends in the comments right now. And I'm not trying to be funny. One of my fa- I w- Again, I wish I could play this music right now. Chris's intro to Davidian. I had to say it on the live show. Loved it. And also, I got to hear his drumming for, for years when he was behind me uh, rehearsing in the in the studio. That I was in. Um, so give me one second while I open up these phone lines, guys. 
right. The phone lines are open. Oh, damn. Why did that happen? Phone lines are open. Area code 510-319-1899. Again, the number is area code 510-319-1899. Someone says Rasan Patterson is great. I love Rasan Patterson. Rasan Patterson played on Brandy's first record and Ray J's first record because their producer, Keith Crouch, worked with. They all worked together like as a production team. And I love the production from that kind of mid-90s synthed out sound that Brandy and Ray J had, the Keith Crouch sound. Loved it. Definitely very church influenced. Someone says Andre's record is New Age meets from Thunderbread. <laughs> Another thing that happened because of the hype surrounding this, again, very mediocre record, is that other rappers started doing remixes of of certain tracks. No, I'm going to flow over this. I was like, that's hilarious. Someone says, I honestly like this song better than the Andre songs. The Andre songs, again, I wish I could play it. I really wish I could. But considering, again, Saturday's show, when, we, when that show aired three years ago, two years ago, three years ago, no issues replay the show and all of a sudden a little snippet of music i think it's like 30 seconds of music is in there that you can hear and they're like that's copyrighted music you can't you can't play that so and and then you know you can't just play 30 seconds or 10 seconds of andre 3000 record what also is interesting if you read the interviews so you've been seeing him walk if you see the pictures of him walking around with the flute that's not the flute that he plays on the record that's some old Mesopotamian era <laughs> instrument that he's been trying to teach himself how to play he was given another instrument by one of the people that helped put the record together some like electric flute so it's literally him just diddling around forever and I have my feelings about diddling around music I think I've made my share of diddling around music I tried to make it with purpose but there's like a in the world that I exist in there's like a genre of what I I think are like diddlers you know like people that kind of make ambient-esque noise with their guitars and then have this big crescendo and then it comes back down to this quiet moment like think bands like Explosions in the Sky um, Mono um, who else is one of those Oh God you Black Emperor with those kind of groups you diddle around a little bit someone says get off the pipe on Diddling to get paid. Mogwai, definitely Mogwai is another one of the diddle groups. And I'm not, look, I listen to a lot of that music. I'm a huge fan of, of Mogwai. And, and one of my favorite bands of that genre would probably be Japanese Mono. Um, it says Badu messed him up. I would agree. I would agree. I, uh, I hate to say it, I agree. Ken says Rush. 
I don't know if I can. Well, yes. Jam bands are diddlers in a different sense. Jam bands. Chris can speak to this. So in the warehouse, I feel like when I talk about it, I don't give it enough credit for A, the size of it, and B, the amount of different people that were in it and the amount of people that lived behind me at one point in time. And Cocker McMillan was behind me for a while. And I, I knew him fairly well. Um, he had a studio there that he recorded all the jam bands. I'm going to turn this music down because it's not funny anymore in my ear. Um, so a lot of those people, the bigger jam bands, would come through there. So what, again, it wasn't just like metal and punk and hip hop people's old classic artists. Excuse me. Tons of jam bands. Chris says, have you heard Imperial Triumphant? I have not heard Imperial Triumphant. Uh-oh. Someone, someone dare call. Are there some calls? There's some calls. There is some calls. Calling from a 216 area code. Caller, what is your name and where are you calling from? Hey, you know what the 216 represents. This is Dr. Claw from Cleveland. Dr. Claw got a clean, natural, and a gold chain. <laughs> well, it's close enough. I'll say that much. Um, <laughs> I, was a, I was a little uh, taken aback about how how very close that some of those things were being said. There. But um, this this episode was not one I could miss talking about. And I know I made a comment in the chat about the other event that's happening tonight. Um, I just advise people to look at my Twitter account. That's D, Dr. Claw 77 drclaw 77 for my response. Um, let's talk about Andre 3K in this uh, flute album. Um, so when I listened to it, uh, well, first of all, before it even came out, um, and I saw his comments about, um, you know, I'm 48. Uh, what do I have to say in rap music anymore? And blah, 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 blah. I was like, okay, cool. I mean, you know, when an artist wants to do something different, I mean, you mentioned him in earlier, you know, uh, I grew up on Prince. And like, <laughs> you talk about somebody who kept evolving over time and doing different things. That's, that's probably one of the people that comes to mind. And of course, Andre was a Prince fan, which showed up in that Love Below album. In other albums, it was kind of like, um, um, you know what I'm saying? It was kind of like, um, I just under understood. So when I finally listened to the album, before I got into the album, my expectation was, oh, he's going to, you know, play an actual acoustic flute, like, you know, like Hubert Laws or Bobby Humphrey. Like people were kind of making those, like, you know, those references about, like, people being skeptical about, um, you know, about flute albums. Well, it's like, you know, Bobby Humphrey exists. Um, Cuban Laws exists. I uh, really love his album, Family. Um, you know, there's been flautists over the years that made dope albums. I think Dave Valentin is another guy that comes to mind. It's on the GRP label. So, <clears throat> you know, the but when I listened to it, it wasn't an acoustic flute. It was some kind of EWI, electronic woodwind instrument, I guess it was a flute. And it was more ambient. And I was like, okay, I listen to music like this. I listen to a lot of 
uh, what is now known as library music, like production music, like you might hear it in um, like a TV show or commercial. Like, for example, a good example of this is the, the theme to Monday Night Football. You know, dun, 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 dun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a lot of people don't know that that, out, that song is written, it was a British song, British composer, and made for a British television show. And um, they made, um, they made a, you know, that made the Monday Night Football thing. So when you hear that, that immediately is what comes to mind. But it was a British song, came from Britain, mm-hmm. on APM's uh, library. Um, I forget what show they used it for in Britain, but it, it was one of those songs that just ended up being a classic in the United States. So I was kind of like, okay, but there were some other things that I think uh, when I was looking at the song titles in the length of the songs, I was like, okay, this is a bit of a size. Like, my favorite song was the opening track, but do you see what the opening track is uh, of that album and the title of it? I'm just like, okay, we don't need to be this ham-fisted about <laughs> your artistic uh, change. And that was, that was the only like thing that I had an issue with, was like that. But other than that, I wasn't mad at the music. I mean, and I, I really see your point about ignoring music in the background. Like that's something um, I just can't do. Um, like when I listen to music, like if I if it's like something that I just Cuban be in the background and I just know it's just like okay, this ain't really it. But like um, <laughs> uh, one of the things about Outcast that I liked um, was that um, even from the beginning, like they. They were at least when they got the AT Aliens and the Aquaman and those other albums. They were really showing themselves like um, to be like when you heard from like Big Boy and he would be espousing himself as a huge Kate Bush fan, mm-hmm. as well as being a um, a Big Daddy Kane fan. But you know that was a common that was a combo that you didn't often hear in the public sphere it kind of broke through the pigeonhole of not just what, you know, black artists would do, but Southern black artists would get into. And it, like all that stuff like reflected in their music. And I thought that was kind of cool about them. It kind of reminded me of another group from the South, from North Carolina that just had a documentary put up on YouTube, Little Brother, who uh, were dudes my age making the kind of rap music I wanted to hear in the arts, talking about the kind of topics I wanted to hear about instead of the fake it till you make it drinking on the nouveau and the hypnotic and the Alize bullshit. Like, you know, that those two dudes well three guys from um two of them from North Carolina. Uh, I guess the third one was from Virginia, but they all met in North Carolina. Really great that documentary, uh Made a Lord Watch by Little Brother, it's really you learn about them as people. And they were very much a um a do it yourself group. Like they were kind of one of those groups that like came out of the internet and they actually made albums. But I'm sure Jason, you'll probably appreciate the story about dealing with being an independent artist and dealing with these, you know, small labels, dealing with all this touring and things like that. And, you know, one member of the group, Knife Wonder, gets a, you know, call from like Jay Z and it yep. gets placement on the black album and it kind of turns this kind of big risk there that they talk about. That's one of the things that I you know, guys like that and the members of the group, particularly Fonte, who, who's branched from that to doing the Foreign Exchange albums and being an actor and doing, you know, producing stuff for like other things. And, um, but he still makes music. And one of the big things about him as an artist, people were like, um, 
why is this guy like is he going when he ever he said he was going to do a solo album like is he going to sing because he also sang you know and mm. on top of rapping and they're like is he going to sing or is he going to rap it kind of reminds me of the whole andre 3000 dichotomy but you know he's one of those guys that openly like influenced drake drake talks about him he straight up ripped off his style when he first came out with those mixtapes which i just thought was kind of interesting mm. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I do think there's a little bit of pretentiousness on, on how this album is being like received and covered and talked about. But I didn't think the music was bad. Um, the that was another thing I was going to say that had something to do around the. It was like also like DJ Premier, um, the DJ producer for Gangstar and you know producer for other artists. Um, I remember when I remember he said something in an in an, in an interview about how he was a fan of Morrissey and the Smiths, mm. and you're like thinking, "What well, this guy who produces all this hardcore New York, you know, rap music, <laughs> who's from Prairie View, Texas, um, loves the Smiths and Morrissey and that you know that kind of music?" And I was like, "Wow, that's cool!" Like I, I love when you hear that kind of stuff from artists because dude like Eminem, for example, strikes me as somebody who owns this to hip hop. And it like kind of reflects in how some of his music sounds <laughs> and how the stuff puts out. You know, I think we had that discussion on here. Yeah, yeah, that sounds, um, yeah. sounds like something we would have said or had a discussion about. And I agree with. I'm that. trying to remember. There was one other thing. There was one other thing I was going to say on this topic of, you know, artists and the music and all this stuff, and it just kind of just escapes me because it kind of went on that the outcast and southern artists and pigeonholing tangents. Um, you know, like, if, you know, the, the oh, yes, Andre. So Andre, you know, even though he said he doesn't have anything to say in rap, and I said this in the chat, um, this year on that Killer Mike album that just also mm-hmm. happens to have a subliminal disc to one Dr. Jared Ball, uh, who's on Black Power Media. <laughs> so funny. And he would go on these radio so shows funny. like a big boy. Yeah. Big boy <laughs> and the like, and, you know, throw shots at him without saying his name. There's a song called um, Scientists and um, Scientists and I just forgot the name of it. Let me go pull it up. It is Scientists and um, where is it? Uh, let me go see. Somebody probably knows it. Scientists and Engineers. Scientists and Engineers. It also features Future. Mm-hmm. It has like Andre 3000 doing a single verse and it is one of the most amazing verses I have ever heard any rapper do. Mm-hmm. Like I have never heard a rapper basically go full Al Jarreau on the mic. <laughs> like, and he just actually be saying something while he's doing that. He's like, no, 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 no. And I thought I was listening to uh, Rondo off of Breaking Away, you know, from Al Jarreau. No, 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 no. And actually like all the things he was saying it was like, wow, this is a, not only a great verse as far as the words are concerned, but technically, like, the way he delivered it, I was like, this is, like, generational talent. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of lost interest in it, but, I mean, I, like, when I put that on, I was like, wow. Like, Andre 3K, like, I see why so many people are so believing in him and want to hear him do this. But, you know, if he doesn't want to do it, like, nobody can force him to do it, you know? Um, you know, I, look, there's lots of, like you said, there's a lot of older rappers, uh, Nas, for example, um, that are just making music that doesn't sound completely cringe in 2023. 
um, that sounds really good. Um, there's also, um, you know, artists that have been around. Uh, one thing I like about this era is that the artists that were around 30 years ago, like Souls of Mischief, mm -hmm. like even more than 30 years ago, KRS-One and Big Daddy Kane and artists like that, like the whole Versus era thing, mm -hmm. uh, when, you know, early on in the pandemic, when they had, we started up being dudes in their homes and then ended up being like, you know, a whole, you know, <laughs> concert. Yeah. And one of the things like that, that kind of like, um, I appreciated was that um, there is an audience for this music and it's also kind of dispelling the whole fact that, oh, hip hop was going to be out of here by 1986. People are still making music. In fact, looking at my Spotify rap this year, there's so much hip hop out there that the, the, uh, the data analysts like disaggregate the types of hip hop, mm -hmm. you know? So, you know what I'm saying? I, I appreciate that. I, I'm cool. Like, I think there's a lot of, there's less of a stigma for being 40 plus, 35 plus in hip hop now than it used to be. And that's cool. You know, that's all I got to say, man. <laughs> well, Dr. Claw, thank you for the phone call. Yeah. Thank you for being who you are and making this show what it is. You are a major part of TIR. So, so thank you very much. And um, <laughs> yeah. we, we will continue to make up what yeah. your life consists of. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. <laughs> Have a good night, brother. <laughs> Can you woo, woo, woo? Can you woo, woo, woo? Thank you, Dr. Claw. Um, I to Dr. Claw's point because I think this is this is really important. And and again, I don't do these shows just to talk about Andre 3000. There's always a bigger picture. Rap for a long time was looked at, rock music was looked at as a young man's game, right? We don't care about these old people. It's all about what the young people want. That's what's going to drive the genre. And when you look at concert sales, concert, like who's who's the biggest draw? Taylor Swift, who, she's younger, but she's been around for a while now. Um is a big draw, but you know who's a bigger draw than her? Metallica. We're talking multiple nights at arenas that she sold out. They're like, oh, we're gonna sell it out a whole nother night. Play a different set, because we have a massive catalog of hits, right? And we were, we were around in a video era, and we were around in the radio era, so we just hit a different way. People aren't so atomized by the way they listen to music to Claw's point about the disaggregation of, of just different types of hip hop. If you want hip hop that just has people with ridiculous face tattoos, unpronounceable lyrics, and the tempo that'll never go over 75 BPM, there's a genre for you. And there's people in that genre that have tons of Spotify plays and no real album sales and maybe they show up at a festival or two or five but they're not as big as the people that actually had radio access video access which i think also speaks to older artists that were attracted to popular new wave groups right it's one thing when you hear premier say i was a huge fan of television 
It's another thing when you say, I was a huge fan of the Smiths. Because that was a massive song back in the day. How Soon Is Now? You put that song on in San Diego and a whole bunch of people are swooning to it. Um, so, you know, you again, think about Metallica. That's a group that's played in stadiums still. ACDC. I don't know when the last time ACDC had a, had a new record out. But when Back in Black comes on, everybody knows. Back in Black! Miss Act! Right. Or if you're a Raiders fan, Hell's Bells comes on. You know, people start losing their mind in the stadium. There's a few rap songs that are kind of slowly breaking into that, especially regionally, right? E40, you can play Tell Me When to Go. But these stadiums are also moving away from certain aspects of the working class neighborhoods they were in. 20, 30 years ago, especially when you think about the Bay Area. The San Francisco 49ers play an hour and a half from San Francisco. They play in Santa Clara. The Oakland Raiders play in a whole different state. They play in Las Vegas, Nevada. The Golden State Warriors, for those that don't know, the name was given to them. They used to be the San Francisco Warriors because they can move anywhere in the state. The Golden State Warriors also no longer play in Oakland, and they play in a very nice part of San Francisco. So playing these these arena songs, these stadium songs that these guys have. But anyway, there is a genre of music now because people our age have something that under 21s don't have, and that's buying power. And if we want entertainment, we want to see entertainment that we want to see. And there's a whole bunch of people going out that were artists when we were young. And Chris Rock made a joke many years ago that I think is still pretty relevant. Whatever music was playing when you were fucking, that's the music you're going to listen to for the rest of your life. (laughs) And... I think that's true. And some of us can't get into some of the newer stuff, and that's okay. There's still, like what Claw said, Nas is still releasing records. There's tons of people that you listen to back in the day that are still releasing music. And and I want to get into this. Chris Conto says, just look at the level of metal festivals worldwide. No other brand of music has the consistency of that level of year-after-year gatherings of fans, hands down, especially overseas, especially overseas. As someone that worked in the festival industry, especially overseas. In the U.S., now people are finally realizing, you know, we'll we'll figure out what niche we want to hit market-wise because EDC is massive. Coachella now is like, look, we got to have an old Cella and a Coachella. How do we get all the young people Younger people um, in in one space for a weekend in a little city and trap them in there and and get all their money. And how do we get their, their parents, excuse me, in a place? Um, and hip-hop finally has an oldies market. 
I think they're still trying to figure out what to do with it. And I think Andre 3000 didn't want to be part of it, to be honest with you. I think it's easier. It's, it's cost effective to release a flute record and create hype around it and know that you're going to get streaming royalties as album sales. Now, again, 1,500 streams for every one sale, that's a lot. There's a lot of people streaming this office music. But if we were to break down how much that record cost him to make, it's so much noodling, I really don't think he's going to go on tour behind it. And that's something that the industry doesn't see that much of being able to release a record and not have to tour behind it. That's why you saw all those people getting mad about the streaming era when radio was dead. People used to get paid fat from their radio and and MTV royalties. Dylan Baxter. Shout out to Dylan Baxter for the super chat. Ding dong, the witch is dead. I don't want to say Satan came and got dude because I feel like they were just really good bedfellows. Henry Kissinger is dead, everyone. He is finally gone. Someone said Granny gone wild at Old Cella. Old Cella was wild. I worked the first Old Cella. David Griscom just texted me, said he is dead. <laughs> Someone says, is there a Mexican number you can call? I only have one number, sadly. Um, you have to dial the plus sign and one. I don't have a Mexican number. Now you're making me feel bad. Should I get to get a 1-800 number costs a lot more money. Should I get a 1-800 number? I should probably get a 1-800 number. Damn it. You guys make me feel bad all the time. Well, look, there's another call. I'm going to shut up now. But I do think I do think Andre could have released a hip hop record if he really wanted to. I don't think he wanted maybe he did want to. But the criticism of that record, if the beats weren't fire, if the features weren't there, they feel he didn't bring it in one song. Ugh. 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 No. No. It would have been a nightmare. Outlive Pinochet and his wife's, though. Shout out Thomas Jerome Newton. Thank you for the super chats, guys. This keeps the show alive. And it enables me to pay the phone bill <laughs> for this phone app. So calling from a 336 area code. Caller, what is your name? Where are you calling from? My name is Hugh. I'm from Greensboro, North Carolina. Hell yeah. What's up, Hugh? Not much, not much. Um, I 
It's like I needed to call. I was listening uh, to the podcast while I was cooking, and I heard Dr. Qual mention little brother, who, um, funny enough, my sister used to work with uh, Fonte's mother, and my oldest other oldest sister actually went to like to school with him. So I kind of been on them for a long time. And they're I know they're from South Carolina, right? North Carolina. Uh, so. I think one of uh, Fonte is from North Carolina. I'm not sure where Big Two is from, but they met, I think, all in Chapel Hill. Oh, they all went um, to the producer for the group. Like, they all went to North Carolina. Yeah. So the, if I'm not mistaken, the producer Night Wonder, he was actually like teaching at a teaching um, and what's it called at Chapel Hill at one point, but that's how they all met kind of in that college kind of thing. There's a lot of schools around here. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure exactly which one they went to, but they kind of met all around the same time. But, okay, I wasn't sure about <clears> that. <throat> did you hear Andre's record? Yeah, um, I did, I did. Um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where hip-hop is weird in terms of like how artists stay relevant and popular. And I feel like it's one of the, on one hand, it seems like artists can kind of disappear very quickly, but there's some artists because they don't put out anything, they just kind of get lauded as being kind of a genius. So even when they put out something that people may not necessarily like, they'll have, a lot of people will just have kind of an initial reaction, like, oh, it must be something I'm not getting because this person's excellent, you know. So genius is this other thing. Mm-hmm. But it's just, yeah, it's very, it's very, I think Kanye may have had that kind of thing at one point in time, but I think with all his shenanigans and talking too much, he's kind of ruined that for a lot of people. But, um, but yeah, I did listen to it. Um, yeah, it's, it's fine, I guess. <laughs> it's just um, background music, I right? think it's cool. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just background music. Um, it, it literally, I was listening to it and I was like, this is the music I listened to when I was in like listen when I was doing you know undergrad because I was, you know, you know, in history, so I wrote a lot and you know, read a lot. And I could not listen to music with lyrics at all. So I ended up getting to, you know, just kind of similar music to this, but also some lo fi, which was a big thing probably about five years ago. But yeah, it was kind of just background music, um, honestly. But um I think it's kind of it's still kind of cool that someone as good as he is in rapping was still. I remember he used the term like he liked the fact that he sounded like a baby when he's like playing, you know, playing kind of these like woodwind instruments mm-hmm. or whatever. So I think that's kind of cool that he that that's you know that's something that he can like you know enjoy. But yeah, it, it ends up being background music. Um, yeah. So you you would you buy it if you had if you were in the record store and you have you have twenty bucks on you to buy an album would you buy Andre's flute record or would you just nah I'll listen on Spotify? No, I, I wouldn't. But you know, one thing I one other part of it too, I think he had mentioned in the interview that he liked when people would kind of see him like randomly out playing his flute and they he mentioned that people would sample, you know, or make beats using these little snippets of like videos of him. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So there was a part of me that felt like this album is possibly made for like hip hop producers. Like it is something that may, you know, that may randomly get sampled later on. Um, I don't know. I I think he just made a song. I'm sure he was stoned out of his mind, and that's fine. Um, sure, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think he made music that he wanted to make, and the hype machine around it made it bigger than it was. And I don't know if he knew yeah. how big that was going to be. Like, I really don't think because when you do something like that, it's one of those like. I'm throwing this up a flagpole because one of the things that I didn't see yeah. in a lot of the press I was reading was him them saying was him saying after he does the interview. And, you know, you can catch me in 2024 because I'll be doing this show and this show. And I'll be touring with this band and I got a band, <laughs> Kamasi Washington and, and Robert Glasspar. Yeah, exactly. Not you know why? Because it was like I do this thing to keep me sane. Right. That's how it felt like I sit in my office slash music production slash guest room on the other side of this wall. You guys can't see. And I make instrumental music. And I'm not going to lie. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I'm too scared to sing. Because I'm like, can I still do it the way I did it when I had the, uh, you know, the studio and the warehouse and all this other stuff to do it? And now I have have to be kind of cautious, conscious of the people that live around me and. I'm not plug. I'm not playing to plugged in amplifiers. I don't have a drum kit in front of me anymore that I can pretend like I know what I'm doing on. Um, all that's gone. Yes. But I still want to make music, and I make it, and I just put it out. And sometimes people buy it, and sometimes people listen to it. And it is what it is. I don't really. I'm not going to cry over it. And yeah. I, and that's the way this felt. But to see, me. go ahead. Yeah. No, I was saying it's it's interesting because like the the one thing though about hip hop that's still very it's it's still weird to me now is like, you know, someone who's older, it's just how, I mean, even with other MCs who I think are really, you know, talented as well, there's still such an emphasis on them kind of proof, like, you know, kind of claiming how good they are at something. And Andre 3000 is someone I think is probably one of the better rappers to ever do it. Ever. Also seems like he's never really participated in his like, like telling people like, I'm this good. When, you know, you listen to like, uh, just a random verse that he'll put, I'm, uh, drop. I mean, I think it was a couple years ago now that he had a verse on um, a Kanye West song that got leaked. And it was an incredible, it was absolutely like incredible. But it's very interesting to see because I, I don't know too many other peers who are as lauded as he is in terms of their rapping ability, but that also don't really participate in like trying to tell everyone how good they are. That's a good point. That's a good point. He he could be one of those real deal artist cats, you know, artist cats. Um, I just find the whole yeah, thing I mean, interesting. Go ahead. No, yeah. I mean, I think, again, he also, his, so I remember, um, I think it was like the 2010s and stuff like that, for a very brief period of time, uh, Jay Electronica and someone else who was had a child by Erica Badu, what Erica Badu. But he kind of had somewhat of that, like, a, uh, a mysterious kind of uh, draw that 3000 still has. Because it, there's just some rappers who are able to just put out a couple of songs or just do a feature. And because it's so rare, people just 
give, you know, whenever they do something, it's just way, 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 you know, it's always going to be hype. I don't think Jay Electronic has that anymore, but uh, I don't know. It's very, it's because again, for a very long period of time, the, I guess for most rappers, it was to put as much content out as possible. And that's another thing I want to, I want to talk about. Uh, do you have anything else you want to say, Hugh, before I let you go? No, that's it. Hey, thank you very much for the phone call, Hugh. No problem. That is Hugh from North Carolina. Um, I don't like to view Chris. I would love to. I wish you were here, brother. I, I don't like to look at music as content, as just generic content. I don't like to look at what we do here on the show as content creation, because even this show. Work went into this. I had had to read a fair amount of reviews. I looked up, but not as much work as some of the other shows, trust me. But still, we sit down, we've tried to figure out what the week is going to look like, what we want to talk about, who we can hopefully get, what we think is interesting. We got to argue about stuff for a while. But it's not just, let's get up here and talk about you know why Joe Biden sucks, right? I don't, I don't like um, the idea of content because it makes the way you engage with this stuff very passive. And I am not saying this as an old man yelling at clouds. I'm not saying this as one generation is better than another because I'm just not thinking things of generational terms. That's just silly. But there's a there's a moment where when you have an investment in something, which is why things like Bandcamp going down is really important because it got people back to truly investing in what they see as art. And the importance of it in their lives. And wanting to support artists that don't have a network they don't have a record label that's going to give them tour support or even just a pr company that's going to make sure people know that there's a record out that they're going to get reviews on it you're going to have anthony fantano talk about it right so Bandcamp was one of those things that really got people to to get in touch with with artists that they probably weren't going to deal with and that's that's really important, right? And there's a moment where you bought a record because you couldn't buy a single, depending on what year it was. And you read those liner notes. You looked at the art in the front and the back of the record. You might have even discovered different groups from the liner notes because, oh, this shout out this crew from this place oh man what is it? who is that who are these people and i need to find their record you know you read the lyrics a million times it was the soundtrack to you know cleaning your stuff doing your homework walking riding to and from school or work it sits in a different place you remember buying multiple copies of it if you really liked it I bought this on cassette, and then when the CD came out, I bought it on CD, and they remastered it, and I bought that. And then also, too, people got tired of buying the same thing a million times. 
That's capitalism for you, right? But what happens when this stuff is just passive and you have the history of recorded music right here on your phone? Do you appreciate this stuff in the same way? Everybody gets all upset about AI, but I kind of feel like Andre 3000's new record is one of those AI written scripts for a Marvel movie that everybody complains about. It's it's there. It's a thing. You can listen to it while you're doing something else. It's non-offensive. It's orally not abrasive. These aren't necessarily bad things. But what then happens when you get that demolition man reality where the world is just kind of jingles? So, I don't know. That's... There's a different vibe... At like at the for the, for example at the book launch, I was given a very small amount of books, and initially I was going to sell them, and then I felt mm, people bought a ticket because my life is just different. Right, I'm not doing a book tour where I'm going from city to city. I gotta sell these books or I'm not going to eat tonight. Um, and the first person that asked was like, hey, can I get one of those books? And how much is it? I was like, you can have it. Can you sign it? You want me to sign it? It's me. But there's a connection you get in these in these live exchanges, even these live like kind of podcast things. You know, Chris, I know you know when you do a live show, it's, it's totally different. Right? You listen to the record. You saw the podcast on, on the internet forever. Now you hear you are in front. You have to ask questions, have a conversation, we chill, make jokes, have fun. And this is your memento of this moment. I have them from people. I've been to Ben Burgess's new place, been to his parents' house. He's been to my house too many times. He's coming to my house again in a few weeks. We're going to hang out. I want him to sign a book. friend Alexander Herbert came over. He wrote a great book. Man, I wish I would have. I need. I need to get up and get it. You know about about the Soviet Union and, uh, and horror movies during the Soviet Union. And we're working on this really cool documentary, man, uh, about uh, refugees from the Ukraine war and the punk scene they're setting up in Georgia and Tbilisi. He did some really cool interviews out there. He was out there for like a month and did some change. Um, I just have to get time to to edit that that footage and put it all together. We were working on that when he came down here and he gave me some copies of the book. I mean, that stuff means the world to me. The world to me. Whenever someone gives me an autographed copy of a book from one of the guests on the show, I love that kind of stuff. Makes that stuff sit in a different place. I don't know. That being said, we have another phone call. Dun, 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 dun. Caller. Calling from a different country. Calling from Chile. What is your name and what do you want to yell at me about? 
Pasó las manos, exactamente. Uh, so do I get a chauffeur, a beat, you get or the... a guitarist uh, <laughs> because uh, getting the guide? You get this. Let's make it. Let, let's make it a new tradition. You <laughs> get a guitarist. I I don't have I don't have an acoustic and I don't have any amplification for my electrics. Well, but. Built out something for me. Free at last. Free at last. I'll just belt out. Can you woo, woo, woo <laughs> for Doctor Claw? Exactly. How are you doing? Fine. I, I was always checking you out on Facebook. It's the first time we're talking and stuff like that. So I'm enjoying it. Um. Yeah, uh, regarding music and, and Kissinger, like, um, it's kind of sad that he outlived, like, Bowie and, uh, Prince and Gustavo Cerati, who's kind of big over there in Mexico. He, so I don't know if you checked them out. Uh, I have local music or I, Latin American music. I've, 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 there's a bar in Tijuana, and I think it's called, like, the Red devil lounge or red dragon or something like that it's this gnarly bar in the red light district but they play metal and punk all the time and i've discovered some really cool i'll be like listen like, what is this I'm like oh this is a mexican punk band from like 1981 so there's some cool stuff that i get to discover in in tj more so than where oh, I okay live. i live in rosarito it's like a resort town right i'm more into like a certain music post punk well of course if you ever listen to the theme I did for Doom with Matt Binder and shit. Oh, okay. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Matt. But they put it like in between when they go to the calls and stuff like that. That's my dream. So, um, yeah. Um, regarding the Andre 3000, I think it doesn't like, um, like, um, like R&B and hip hop and whole culture around that. Doesn't it need more like more like left hemisphere kind of music and stuff like that, like more deep stuff? We say that again. To detract the way. Like, doesn't the scene like need like more like a left hemisphere music, like more cerebral kind of like different kind of stuff? I love listening to stuff from different places that have that influence on it. So for me, I grew up listening to heavy music. So when Sepultura leaned into right. like their Brazilian roots and really started incorporating right. some of like the native Brazilian elements to stuff, I thought that was amazing. I thought but that was there was awesome. a crazy there was a crazy thing about that because they were also influenced by I mean send the mail button. But they were trying to like uh, bring it back to even more like um I guess from industrial to pre-industrial, playing like a percussion and stuff like that can't be just as heavy as machines. And, I guess, but the whole well, it's basically if you remove like all the melody from a samba line, you can get do a lot with those kind of drums. I mean, I appreciated them doing that, and so I I dig that. You know, do you does Andre need to make a world music record for? Uh, no, I mean you. Ultimately, you do whatever you want to do, right? As as a musician. I think, yeah, I think the scene, but I think the scene needs it. I mean, I mean, there was like crazy stuff coming, 
And somebody mentioned like Miles Davis in chat, mm. like especially like the period of On the Corner and Bitchazoo and and Live Eagle and all that. And what's the other one? It's kind of like um, Pangea. And yeah, but there's like a Return, Return to Forever and all those like uh, Weather Reports. We have and of to, course Herbie Hancock and all that. So. But, but we have to admit one thing: this record ain't that. Right? Like, we have to admit, when you're talking about Miles uh, Davis, well, when you're talking about Miles Davis yeah, no, but I mean, like, not using percu- right. acoustic instruments and experimenting with wah pedals and distortion and electric guitars and basses, he takes that music. And the musicians that he was using. Oh, into a whole nother world. What I heard and this is my opinion, was run-of-the-mill right. New Age spa music. If that's what he felt like making, that's what right, he felt but like you making. Need like a, yeah, but I, you need like a lot of failure until you, until somebody pops up with the, with the right stuff. You know what I mean? Well, that's the thing. When you're at that level, you can throw out a mediocre record and it's a success, it can be a critical, quote-unquote, critical failure, right? But record sale-wise, he's literally outsold his hip-hop contemporaries. The young kids to the old veterans, he's outsold everybody first week. Off streaming alone, for the most part. So, to your point about failing, going, you know, he didn't. But I think it's a push. Yeah, but it's a failing artistically. Sorry. <laughs> failing artistically. Um, it, it's hard to be viewed as a failure. Uh, when, you need to dig it. Yeah. Yeah, I know. That's especially in these times where people are more like materialistic and rather than mm. I'm painting on a canvas and I don't really, I'm not there yet. I'm like close, but I, I painted the canvas too much. I added that extra line and it ruined everything. Like that kind of ambition. Um, first of all, I love, with that kind of thing. I love what you said. I agree with that wholeheartedly because you don't want to put the time in because everything you do that could be a hobby has to be monetized. Etsy is the epitome of that to me. Exactly. And if Andre made right. 12 million flute records and never released any of them, and then he passed away, you know, hopefully another 48 years from now, and you find this archive of flute music, that's one thing. But when you can just like put out all this stuff, get a hype train around all the mediocre releases, it is hard to get to that Miles Davis bitches brew point because. Right, but I was Go ahead. I was thinking not just of one artist. I was I was thinking of in terms of the scene. Maybe that's mm-hmm. gonna like push other people into into that direction, shall we say. Not of making boring music, but of like thinking outside of the box. That's what I was saying, like left hemisphere kind of like music that maybe the same needs. This is where I am in my thought process with capitalism. I would love to hear what you have to say about this because you seem like a very interesting person. Um, and I mean that sincerely. Right. I mean this sincerely. I'm not trying to say this because you just called in. 
Okay. No, no, no. As a Marxist in the music weed, <laughs> kind of like ideal for that, right? So, so I feel like we're in this moment where everyone is a billboard, and people are willing to put yeah. anything. Branding and oh, like constantly. And there's a few different artists that I've heard in the hip hop world where I'm not the biggest fan of what they do, but I really respect the boundary pushing that they do. There's a group called Clipping. With exactly. The, um, that group is really cool. Time signatures flips and the beat choices and everything about them is like, this is, you know, Death Grips is another one of those groups. So everything about you is so no, outside of... No, of course. Of, we can I, also talk about, like, why is Kanye when there's, like, Saul Williams and, like, uh, Kanye, like, kind of, like, Saul's under exactly right uh, with all you, the hype you, you know what i mean it's like you you there's there's people that are doing things they get a little bit of notoriety they get on some hipster festivals but we're still kind of trapped especially with with hip-hop in stereotypical traditional binaries in which we want these music to stay in it's got to be black it's got to be ghetto it's got to be poor if it isn't those things then it's not for mass consumption right right but that's like kind of ridiculous that's kind of like um kind of like that, that that's because other industries are involved like fashion and other kinds of stuff and maybe it's even like political and kind of there's like something nefarious about it like keeping people in, into boxes and into like homogenizing like thought and, and stuff. And and that becomes the way the only way we can see the world and ourselves. So we're constantly putting ourselves in the box and the world's in a box. And is is Andre trying to push us out of that box by saying, Hey dude, I wanted to make a flute record? I don't know. I mean, I mean, it's like, it would be like a worst case scenario, best case scenario, depending on how you see it. It would be like a, uh, like a, a benefit from, from this, like a kind of like, a, uh, at least we get that out of it. Like mm-hmm. the kind of like inspiration, like, okay, so this guy who, who, who allegedly could have like done it by numbers and have like a, a career before could have like uh, done more of the same or what, what was expected and and instead did this maybe we can do that as well you know um recently i've been like into like um since i'm like kind of like that kind of like nerdy alternative kids like sad boy mm-hmm. i've been into i got involved with like these like uh black, um black kids who are like doing post-punk music one of them is Scary Black. I've heard of that. And then there's the other group of kids. Yeah, Albie Mason. Mm-hmm. And and on the other spectrum, because they're kind of like younger and like into fashion and stuff like that. Um, kind of like uh, Britain in the in the in, in the late seventies, early eighties. Mm-hmm. These kids from New York that I only heard about them because like the vocalist was like one of those like um, YouTube shirts. Mm-hmm. About somebody that films films like all over New York and Manhattan, and and he happened to just run through, and he was like, of course, dressed to the nines, 
all dripped out and he said like I had a post punk group and I was like what? So I started like checking out their music and I joined the Discord and I'm of course like sharing music with them through the Discord. They're called like uh Josh Phoenix. Uh Phoenix isn't spelled out. That's like uh uh P H N X. So yeah, there's like um I'm all for that like kind of like it's like imagine like Dolce um what's it Dolce uh Mona something like that from um from Belarusia, but not giving you that kind of like weird, um, cold, like Nazi vibe, shall I say. Leave, Instead, leave it's those, like, uh, these sure, kids from, from Manhattan. Make, make sure you leave these, uh, names in the, in the, uh, in the chat so we can find this music. Right. Right. Of course. Of course. But, uh, as I was saying, and I also mentioned like a, of all people, Brian Eno was like a, did a rap remix. Really? I was like, okay, this yeah. guy has never done something like that. And it was like, okay, I looked up on YouTube like hip hop and Brian Eno to see what would pop up. You'd think because of like, uh, my life in the bush of ghosts with David Byrne and something like that. Mm-hmm. They interested. Mm-hmm. So there's this guy called, um, uh, I think it's like, Big Hitty or something like that. Mm-hmm. Hitty. Mm-hmm. And the tune is called Told. It's a remix by him. Of course, it's like washed out in the users and all the things that he wrote. But yeah, please, please leave leave all this stuff in the uh, in the chat so we can find it. Yeah. Let's so here's to like listening to new music and like breaking that stupid like um, paradigm because I mean, the record industry, yeah, I mean, it's more like what you heard from Bandcamp that it's like those people from Fortnite that took over. Oof. And then they sold it over to people that are just using it to sell like beer and shit like that. Yep. So it's not, it's not like before, like with a, a wrist or anything like that. What was the name of that famous guy from Turkey, Amit, they're doing this, something like that. Mm-hmm. We, we, we used t- to like, uh, yeah. We 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 discussed a few weeks ago. We did a whole show about uh, Bandcamp possibly going down. Me and right. Yeah. So in general, just about the the strength of like the power that the music industry has. I mean, now we can like uh well of course now it's like uh it's gone into like a concert sales and, and concert tickets and and I guess like lifestyle and yep. I guess spread into like um like Twitch with artists like Arca having like their own Twitch channel and stuff like that. So, but at the same time, there's like a bit more freedom to do other things. Speaking of which, like since you're a Metallica fan, thoughts on Lulu? My comments about like Scott Walker, Scott Walker, who did something with uh, Sano. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I tried showing it to Sander Cook from Working Class Music. And he was like, what the fuck is this shit? They were like ruining, they were ruining the guitars with this kind of like bowie-esque, kind of like undead voice and shit like that. It must be a joke. I felt like Lulu. But I like that. I, like that. I felt like Lulu, much like this flute album, is people doing what they want to do. And for me, 
that's the realest right. thing you can ever do. You can hate it, but they're like, we want to do this record. Well, that's, there you go. That's what I'm saying. You know, sometimes you have to like fail it, like fall flat on your face and pick yourself up. You know, so, you know, did they come back and make something even weirder and crazier? No, you know, right? They, I think the newest Metallica record no, is the most. But that was like, that was like album that, ever. That was sweet to read, though. I think just like uh, Sano with Scott Walker, Sano. I mean, yeah. Sano con- continued doing like their own stuff, and like for people out there, yeah, Scott Walker is kind of like very, 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 very niche. Mm-hmm. And he used to be like this in the sixties, kind of like a, a. He was a bit darker, of course, but a bit more like alternative than Engelbert, Humphrey, and anybody like that. Um. So yeah, then started like uh, doing his own thing, getting involved with contemporary, like modern music, talking about like um. I don't know, like using beats, like uh, punching uh, uh, the hide of a pig mm-hmm. and, and shit like that. Or making like a huge like wooden box and hitting it for, for percussion in the song. So, yeah, I mean, for, for him continuing with this uh, dirge or drone kind of metal, like Sano was like a continuation of that and, and mixing it with, I guess, blotchy humor and such. So yeah, I mean, uh, Brian even said about like, um, like art, like art, um, in, in general, like uh, it could be like, uh, painting, music or whatever, is that it's the opportunity where you can crash a plane and then walk away from the plane crash. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> you can like, you can, like take, you can like take those risks in other areas and stuff like that, I guess. Like in architecture, I guess, or, I like or in politics, even though the right's trying to trying to do that at the moment throughout the world. Yes, that's why we can't be too ecstatic that Kissinger is dead. It's he's finally gone, but he had been out of power for some time. Yeah, and he left his like uh, eggs throughout the planet. I guess kind of like a sci-fi monster or something. His brood. Oof. Oh, let's let's hope that we'd never get it. Let's hope Stephen Miller doesn't the fucking walk in his footsteps. Right. Or uh, uh Elliot Abrahams and oh, people like not that. Another, and, yeah. like, Just oh Oh like miniature, yeah. No, of course alive. like there's yeah. like a whole school of thought in Chile that's kind of like um developed from him and stuff like that. Well before you go, before you go Argentina right. has a new president that is a libertarian, to put it lightly. How is that affecting, mm, if at all? Yeah. It, how, how is that affecting anything is, at all in Chile, the discourse? Well, basically, we're seeing it as like a quite like a, well, first of all, I personally, I call him like a mini of the Chilean model. Okay. So, and that like pisses off the Argentinian to the like, very proud and like to think of themselves as kind of like the New York to our New Jersey. Okay. So, yeah, we have like that rivalry, I guess. 
It could be a bit like Oakland and San Francisco, maybe. I don't know. Okay, that's interesting. Talking out of my ass there. That's funny. Okay, yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, like um, the Chicago School of Economics and mm-hmm. political repression and like losing your shit mm-hmm. of everything that like rings a lot of bells to Chileans over here. We have somebody who's worse because like um, Bolsonaro and Yay, um, Yay. Talk a lot of talks, but the guy that we have here mm-hmm. that can actually become president and that's trying to like um, uh, get the new constitution, this like new, what's it could be like a uh, possible co- new constitution written by the far right that practically goes against everything we, we stand for, mm-hmm. be it environment, uh, uh, human rights, and and, all, and workers' rights, of course, is that basically he's a guy. His, his name is Cass, and he's kind of like um, the son of an, a real Nazi that was was from the rat trail that came from um, from from uh, Nazi Germany mm-hmm. to seek refuge here. Mm-hmm. And then the family, as you do, um, uh, they had like um, land holdings and stuff like that. So of course they were like threatened by Allende, and they uh, collaborated with Pinochet and and tortured people. And they used that power, in fact, to torture their own like uh, uh, farmers, campesinos, and who were trying to unionize and things like that. So he's a very dark character and now he's caught himself as sort of like kind of like a member of the reddit um far right shall we say with memes and everything and so yeah we're looking at yeah Ye- as like somebody who can be like uh very very uh i mean there's photos with all of them it's like a like a kind of like a uh, what's it called? Like the Legion of Doom. There's like in the Bolsonaro. <laughs> Meanwhile, and, at the Legion of Doom. Yeah. Right. Oh. Yeah. And yeah, basically everybody who, I also called them like minions of, um, of Steve Bannon. Mm. But of course, somebody who comes from Nazi stock is, has like a better, not a better, sorry, a worse pedigree than Steve Bannon. But of course, Steve Bannon encourages him. Steve yes. Bannon was in Argentina. And he, he visited like Chile a while ago. And yeah, I mean, I posted like on my Instagram, like this thing about like voting for the lesser evil, that's like, that that doesn't stop fascism. That's like fertilizer. Ooh. Sooner or later, it starts growing and stuff like that. We used to have to worry about like people like Macri and and Sebastian Pinera, mm-hmm. who were like fascists, but they would like withhold it. They were in like a, the kind of would, um, um, taking it to a, a level of performance art and stuff like that. So imagine that people as bad as they were have, having people like these clowns, like, um, uh, being actually worse and stuff like that, who actually wanted, as Brian Neal was saying, Want to crash the plane, but in this case, it's society, shall we say. Jesus. So, yeah, I mean, on the other hand, for Chile, it's like um, we were like all alone being like, 
United States, I guess, with our Instagram, sort of left this president uh, who wasn't like very involved with BRICS or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And now I'm here as an American, even worse American stewards will probably get away from BRICS and the whole like uh, Soviet China orbit. So, yeah. There's a lot of various like uh, um, inner workings happening there, I guess. Jesus. Well, on a good note, leave us those music <laughs> recommendations. <laughs> it does, I mean, okay, I'll, I'll help like uh, with the music thing over here, so at least we'll get good music out of it. Like, I guess, like, uh, like uh, New York, New York City in the eighties. I guess those days are right gone. Right when I grew up. So those days are gone. You're not yeah. going to get any I'm new music. Getting, they're gone. They're they're gone, brother. I, right. I I wished that stuff too, but those the days of people trying to make pushback music are so gone because music is kind of a cathartic release, or it's just again it's just part of your brand. So if your brand is revolutionary, then you're yeah, gonna make your revolution. I don't know stuff. because like uh, yeah, but it's like sometimes like when in these cases like fascism and stuff like that, it's kind of like one of like uh, the easy ways of like trying out revolution and theory and stuff like that mm-hmm. and playing it out is with music. But of course, like music also creates like a lot of like from the outer, like the kind of like figure of like, um, of, uh, of this entrepreneur impresario kind of like Elon Musk kind of dick. Oof. So of course, like, um, yeah, there can be like this, like kind of like John Gulf figure of the artist, like not listening to other people. Like, fucking people over and shit like that but um on the plus side is is that there that people get together and start like i mean i used to like write about very abstract things you know all of a sudden via the influence of a former friend my god like interested in like putting like politics in my lyrics and stuff no i get it it's a it's a serious time uh thank you very much for your phone call um you have a very good night. Okay. Hasta la Victoria Center, I guess. Say again? Say, hello? Oh, we lost him. That wasn't me. I didn't do it. That wasn't me. I promise. That wasn't me. Um, Tyler, I hope you put those uh, those things in the chat. Please do. Please do. Um, we did a show maybe a few years ago about all the music we didn't get during the Trump years. That was the first thing. That was the first thing I remember. And again, I was living in a warehouse. I remember that was my friend Ray Selway. We were sitting there when the whole thing happened, when the election happened. And Ray looked at me and he goes, we're going to get some great music out of it. I don't remember anything that blew me away. That was a good call. We got to get that. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Tyler. I love it when people call from like other places. I'm going to shut the phone lines down because, again, this costs money, and I want to be able to have the phone lines open for different times of the year. But yeah, there was no, there was no, that moment. Again, we're just too atomized to have kind of a collective moment. And there's 
different people that are risking different things. There's no draft, first and foremost. So where's your anti-war music going to come from? Rage Against the Machine. How many people that bought Rage Against the Machine knew they were communists? I'm being serious. How many people that listened to Rage, that moshed at those festivals, knew they were communists? And this isn't a knock on Rage Against the Machine. It's music that I enjoy. I have friends that don't dig them. But what does it say when you're a communist band on a major label? I mean, you got to get your music out, and if a major label has put it out, you're not going to stop them. And those guys definitely wanted to get signed. And again, I can't knock anybody for wanting to get signed. But what does that say when you're on MTV every five minutes? And F you, I won't do what you tell me becomes F you, mom. I don't believe that was their intention. But a lot of times, you know, music that is meant to do the people that are making it are like this is going to be the sound of a revolution you know again when i wrote that piece it was coming from being the guy that was like this is going to be a revolution (laughs) this new album is a revolution it's like is it is it the catalyst to the thing i don't know i don't know Chris says, I think that the bands that had been telling us what was coming just sat back and watched the waves crash when 45 was elected. (sighs) I don't know how serious we are when it comes to that kind of stuff. Stop, children. What's that sound? There's a song on one of my favorite TV shows. In Mexico, I can get a show that I think is on Hulu. It might be on television in the States. Uh, So this is Revolution is an ironic title. Uh, It's a lyric in a song. I was very serious when I wrote it, but it's a lyric in a song. I don't know if the revolution is going to start from a podcast. Be pretty cool if it did, but you you have to get out there and talk to the people. David, you know that could be with the people and not just on a screen um but there's a there's a show called what we do in the shadows and it was it's a show based off of a movie with the same name and it's i think it's hilarious it's a reality show about vampires right it's kind of like the office but with vampires everything is the office it's gonna be the office but instead of an office it's a government building it's community um, but there's a song that opens up that show and the, again, it's about vampires and vampires are the, the undead. And the song is the hook of the song is you're dead, you're dead and out of this world. And it's a folk song. And eventually I was like, what the, who sang this song? And I find out. Chris, you're going to love this. The woman that wrote it, sang it, is from the Bay. 
Because everything dope is from the bay, right? And last night, I this is what I watch when I go to sleep to just kind of decompress from everything I have to read and everything. And I was watching it, and then, the, you know, the, the intro keeps playing. And I'm like, I'm listening to these words, and I feel like this song is about selling out. So I pulled it up. I was like, I'm going to hear, I want to read what she's saying. And sure enough, this song is about trying to make it in the folk scene in 60s New York. And when you read the words, it's heavy. Because it really speaks to kind of what I'm talking about in this piece I'm trying to write. I'm having the hardest time trying to like start it. Um, and let me, I mean, I'm going to pull up the lyrics for you. Let's pull it up. Um, Norma Tananga, and she passed away a few years ago, which is also really depressing because I totally would have tried to get her on the show. Um, she wrote a, some Dusty Springfield songs, um, and then went into teaching crazy right so you know you you hear the i think the the part that we hear is the intro of the song and the end of the song and uh it's don't sing if you want to live long they have no use for your song you're dead you're dead you're dead you're dead and out of this world then I believe they skip to the, the last stanza of the song. Now your hope and compassion is gone. You sold out your dream to the world. Stay dead, stay dead, you're dead, and out of this world. Oof. Oof. That's heavy. Because that's a lot of people in a lot of different industries can relate to that. It's not just, it's not just uh, music. David, you didn't know that David Epps says, I didn't know that song. I don't know if it was one of her bigger hits. Again, she wrote for, she had a relationship and wrote for Dusty Springfield. Her life in the play about Dusty Springfield, they said is only like 10 minutes in that, in that play. Um, she's kind of this character that for a lot of people, like me, who didn't know that she existed before that show, it's like, I got to find out who sings this song, because it's kind of catchy, but I feel like the song is about kind of losing your soul in the pursuit of an empty goal. David says they're selling out, and then they're selling your soul. I guess, are they one and the same? Is there a difference? I live in a country that, you know, it's a poor country and it's in the shadow of U.S. empire. And the leftist artists from this country are commodified like cartoons. You can get Frida Kahlo on anything. Frida Kahlo plates, Frida Kahlo blankets, Frida Kahlo match candle holders. Frida Kahlo everywhere. 
everywhere. I don't know if Frida Kahlo be like that Boondocks episode with MLK. I should have say some say in this. Um, it's like the like hey, well, there's this lady that's famous. Let's just sell the shit out of her. Who gives a shit? Some of some of what she stood for, you know, that's I wouldn't say this is the soul of an entire country, but man, <sighs> when I see it, just the tourists come and they buy one of two things. Maybe you get them to buy a Frida Kahlo cartoon T-shirt or drug dealer paintings. Oof. Joe says no ethical consumption. Maybe. Thomas says, oh, you're selling your ass. Yeah, there is no Trotsky stuff. We haven't seen that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think anyone would know Trotsky. You, Sorry. A lot of Abe Lincoln stuff around here, surprisingly. Chris says narco art. It, Chris, you have no idea. It is, it's not cool. It's there's this like Last Supper type picture, and it's Pablo Escobar, Chapo, and Tony Montana. It's two Latins and an Italian actor. Al Pacino. And they're at a table and there's piles of cocaine and money. And that everywhere I go in Mexico, well, this part, that painting is for sale. And then when you cross the border, there's people walking around with like, I mean, they're big paintings. Or replicas of that. (laughs) Another Legion of Doom. Yes. How, like, it's one thing to have the two real drug dealers, but when you have the fictional guy in there, it's like, I don't know what's worse. That painting or the one my dad has in his house of Bob Marley, Malcolm X, Barack Obama, and MLK. I don't know what's worse. The fictional drug dealer with the real drug dealers and the fact that you're just selling paintings of drug dealers. Like there's some sort of like Robin Hoods. Or the painting of just random black dudes that are famous that are supposed to be important and famous. Davis says black excellence. I I asked my dad what it all meant and he he tried to break it down for me one day and I was just like I'm just going to walk away from this one <laughs> I look at it and I bow my head every time I see it like the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit Then he says, Al Pacino probably skied a few slopes in his day, but never pushed no weight. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if Al Pacino knows that that's a real painting in Mexico that people buy. Like, I don't think he cares about his likeness being sold. But would he be like, really, guys? 
Like I'm not a real drug dealer. That's a pretend man. That's not a real man. It's like the Rocky statue in Philadelphia. It's like, you know, that's not a real fighter. You guys have real fighters from here, but. Well, look, thank you guys for hanging out with me. I was trying to cut this off at 90 minutes and we went a little bit over. We will be back tomorrow discussing with Paul Prescott. And we'll be discussing the life of Bayard Rustin from the woman that made the documentary, not the Netflix movie, Brother Outsider. I canceled my Netflix. So I have not seen the Bayard Rustin movie. And because I wrote the Kindy piece, people have been sending me the Kindy trailer for his stamp from the beginning. Um, love you too, Chris. Thank you. Um, but tomorrow is going to be a really good show because the Brother Outsider documentary is actually really good and gets into the politics of the man, not just the sexual identity of the man. So, again, go listen to Norma Tenanga. Don't sing if you want to live long. They have no use for your song. You're dead, you're dead, you're dead. And out of this world. Now your hope and compassion is gone. You've sold out your dream to the world. Stay dead. Stay dead. You're dead. And out of this world. I want to do, look, you know what? You guys are talking about flute music. Look at this. I, on the last record I did with my ex, we had, if you guys remember Third Eye Blind, we had um, Orion from Third Eye Blind. I was having the hardest time trying to record a bass part, and he happened to be in the studio. I was like, Orion, dude, I'm having the hardest time with this bass part, dude. Can you can you come in and help me out? He goes, dude, I'll just play bass on the song. And then my ex played flute over it, so we'll go out with this. <laughs>